listening to White Truck. Oh yeah, welcome to Monday. Are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with the dude, Michael Vincent. Welcome everybody. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful morning here. Uh, winter morning here in Freight Alley, Chattanooga. How you doing, my brother? Couldn't help but notice when I turned the calendar. It's it's March, the month when uh when this all began. Our new reality began about a year ago. Oh, yeah. Even right here in this office, there's all our, our lovely, beautiful staff that worked amongst us and before we sent them home. And still in that COVID world, right? People want to call it a post-COVID world, but you can't really call it that till it goes away. And Yeah, it's not gone yet. Today, we're dealing a lot with the port issues. It's taken almost a year for that to really come to a head. Are you surprised at all that it's taken this long to finally show up on our shores? I, you know what? Kind of. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it just goes to show you don't you don't we weren't thinking that far ahead, I guess, yeah. looking into the or the intricacies or the failures that could possibly happen in our supply chains. But, yeah, it's here. But, yeah, I was at Modex. Yeah. And I was taking pictures and sending it back here saying, dude, there's 20,000 people here, man. No big deal. Yeah. I came back two days <laughs> later. Boom. Everything shut down. Work from home. I saw on Twitter it was like happy one year anniversary to our two weeks of flattening the curve. <laughs> but yeah. I'm still here. It's the right? reality of things, man. Oh, what, man. What did you think of Bob Corker's conversation with Craig Fuller that kicked this thing off today? You know, I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was going to be really, uh, it was going to be excellent. But the topics that Craig was bringing up and, and the way uh, uh, Mr. Corker was was uh, answering them was, was tremendous. And, and just talking about you know, from the different factors of the efficiencies and technologies that could be or seemingly are preventing what should be infla- inflationary progress right now, right, yeah. it is not happening to the effect that you would think it would be happening with us printing money and so on and so forth and people spending so much. You'd think it'd be going up, but it's, it's kind of not, right, yeah. although you feel like it is. Um, from that to really uh, when they started getting into, you know, the, the whipsaw effects of our four-year cycle terms and how those happen with, with business and international trade. I never really thought of it that way, right? And then it's been exacerbated, you know, exponentially with the past four years, basically, right? So how can Biden or any administration really start to mend those things and make progress and not guarantee we won't be back in the same place in four years? Yeah. You know, and you hear a different story at events like these from from leaders, and it's about it, it's about bipartisanship. It's about working together, yeah. right? And it's not you know, you turn on the mainstream news, and everything is just so polarizing, and and yeah. one opinion forces you into this box or this other. But I think, especially here in supply chain, where all the smart kids hang out, we realize that we have to actually come together to make these regulations work, and to make our biggest partners, your biggest partners, happy. The shippers out there, make sure that they're happy. And right now, a lot of them are not, especially with what's going on with boxes. That's a headline we'll get to. But before we get there, let's make the audience happy. Let's give something away. Yeah, you want to give something away? That, man. Yeah. You guys want something? I know you I registered. You registered at live.freightwaves.com. If you didn't, if you didn't, there's still, after this one, well, there's nine more prizes after this one. There'll still be eight more that you can get. Go to live.freightwaves.com to register right now, though. We're giving away a very special gift to one lucky winner. It is an Apple Watch, and it is going to none other than our winner, who is Glenn Hawkins. He's a research specialist, DHS, CBP, Department of Homeland Security. Wow. Yeah. Government agent. Now he's got the Apple Watch, too. Oh, yeah. Now he's hooked up. Yeah. He's hooked up. I love him. Do you have a smartwatch? I don't, I don't, and, but I wish I had one one. So I've gone yeah, through, yeah. like, all the iterations of smart stuff. Like, I'm getting a Ring video doorbell for my house. I got the Alexa. I got yeah, the yeah, iPad. Yeah. I got EarPods. I, got, I just need, the last thing I need to complete my collection is the Apple Watch. That's all you need. You know, my only people, complaint? 
I get false buzzes on my wrist when I'm not wearing it. That's true. Oh, do you get like alien hand syndrome <laughs> yeah. with, yes, the, with the watch? Like yes. you're not wearing it anymore? I do. Because I wear it those things much. have saved people's lives before. People have gotten yeah. the heart rate oh, monitor yeah. on there and they've gone up steps and then they're way irregular and they've known to go in to get a checkup. So, you know, yep. over there, whoever won it, you got you won over that CBP. You're going to have a good time with it. Before we get into the news, our show is called What the Truck. We are on three times a week. That was a four. Three times a week over here at Freightways, <laughs> Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon Eastern time. Or you can look us up on podcast players everywhere on demand. Just look up What the Truck on your favorite podcast player. Now let's hit the headlines. Boom. There we go. There it is. Love it. Hey, first headline, let's talk a little bit about the market. DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index. It is an index we use using our own data platform, Sonar, which uses a number of different indices to crunch the trucking market to tell who is holding the power right now. Is it the carriers or is it the shippers? 100 is fully in favor of the carriers. Zero fully in favor of the shippers. This week, we're looking at an 80, and it's a mm. little bit of a runoff from what happened with the storm. Break it down sure. for me. Yeah, so it, there is, there's many variables, right, that are that are converging that will keep upward pressure on the spot rates and tender rejections for the coming weeks. Carriers will be able to squeeze a little bit of extra cents per mile over the next uh, little bit here, a couple of weeks anyways, uh, if not more. But and access assets will become, they're coming back online, yeah. right? They're coming back online sooner or later, but it's not as fast as volumes are coming back from the, the, the effect of, of seasonality, right? right? But you, you really got that effect from the, the storms. Sure. Um, which is which is given that up and we've got the elevated nature of the rejections beginning in a year so any anything there we're already at 24 25 so any little thing that hits is gonna is gonna bump that or and it's gonna expand it yeah and you see it right in the spot rates right the they have followed tender rejections throughout the storm disruption and they followed them throughout last week we had a huge jump right 26 cents per mile was up to 311 inclusive of fuel that's getting near uh the peak that we started this year yeah. which is around 322 we dropped off pretty significant it only looks significant because 322 was so elevated i think we didn't get <laughs> below 240 it was still a good yeah. strong market yeah. but one thing we were hearing was that there were a lot of a lot of carriers, especially smaller ones that were on the wrong side of that average, where that has changed significantly in the past week. A lot of them a lot more happy. But in turn, those big carrier rates, right? Same story on the ocean as there is on the land, except on ocean, it's been going on for longer and it's been a lot worse, we feel, for all of you. Ocean carriers are taking heat, though, for profiting so handsomely at all of these shippers' expenses. And at consumer expenses, too, are facing long delays and retailer expenses, right? The Agriculture Transportation Coalition's Peter Friedman, a great guy known from Connect. He did a session here, Catch It On Demand. Uh, Go to live.freightways.com, check out the agenda, or look up Freightcast, your favorite podcast player of choice. You can hear all these sessions on demand. But he was taking exception. He was like, what is going on here? Hatbag Lloyd, CEO, uh, he did a video conference, heard around the world, and uh, Peter Friedman, he said, it's one thing to to ship schedule it's one thing for ship schedule reliability to be at all-time low levels but quite another for carriers to profit so handsomely by such collapse in dependence of service haven jansen he said that poor congestion particularly in los angeles and long beach california coupled with container shortages and the covid19 outbreak amongst longshore workers uh, had formed the perfect storm and as a result schedule reliability is at a very low level but that wasn't exactly what peter friedman was entirely upset about. 
<laughs> no, it wasn't. Friedman argued that the lack of schedule integrity, as well as Ocean Carrier's failure to provide reliable updates, has directly led to the to demurrage and detention charges imposed on their customers, the importers and exporters. That revenue in hundreds of millions of dollars has contributed tremendously to the record-setting carrier profits while pushing their customers into real financial trouble, some on the brink of bankruptcy. Friedman said, in fact, the current carrier chassis and terminal dysfunction is so profitable for the carriers that there is little incentive for them to take the actions available to reduce the current service failures. Wow. Yeah, pretty strong words. <laughs> they are pretty strong words. And, you know, if you look at the earnings, right, if you look at just look at Hatback Lloyds or EBITDA right now, it climbed $900 million in 2020 to $3.1 which is up from $222 billion in 2019. Now, slightly different markets, so it's not always fair to take a black swan market and compare it to another, but... Freeman is going off about what uh, we have talked about numerous times on this, and it's the reality of the industry, is the more you pay, typically the worse service you end up getting because of the constraints that have gone on. And here's something that will remind you of land carrier networks. Jansen from Halfbag Lloyd, he said, it's also in our interest for us to get a little more back to normalcy in this market. And yes, now there's a, pe- a peak in freight rates. We benefit from it. But in fairness, if you look back at the last 10 years, there's also been many instances when we were moving boxes for $50 to $100. You guys remember those $50 to $100 rates, I, Shanghai I to LA? I don't. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember those. But you know what? It's funny. It's, it's sort of like that petty backbiting that we get on land. Same thing happens in ocean. Well, you should have locked in your contract rate with us. You, you should have been more dependable instead of oh, yeah. <laughs> leading into the reality of the market. Yeah. It, it, I, it, we, could, we could unpack this all day and complain, yeah. you know, complain about it. But it I don't know what Procter & Gamble is going to do about demurrage at, at Los Angeles when they can't go pick up their stuff because it's, it's sitting at anchor. It's terrible. That? It's a tough situation. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible situation. I'm kind of Friedman on this a little bit, to tell you the truth. Here's one that, here's one that I, I'm kind of happy we, we report on. Owners of Westfield Transport indicted for falsifying drivers long. This happened uh, right after I moved out of the Massachusetts area. So I'm very familiar with this story. And it was the owners of defunct Westfield Transport of West Springfield, Massachusetts. They were indicted on federal charges because they falsified records for this driver. His name was uh, Voldemir Zukovisky. He was 24-year-old of West Springfield. He was driving through randolph new hampshire on june 21st 2019 when he ran over seven motorcyclists what? yeah <laughs> that that's that's insane so what his brother uh dartanayan gazanov 35 who was who was arrested friday was charged with one count of falsification of records he's listed as the president treasurer secretary and director of a shuttered of the shuttered company the company's sos record state right yeah uh, so according to the indictment from May 3rd, 2019 to June 23rd, 2019, the owners of Westfield Transport falsified driving logs in order to evade federal regulations designed to ensure the safety of road or, uh, roadways and drivers. They also tried to put him on, his insur- on their insurance an hour after this thing occurred, according to the NTSB. The driver himself, he, was, uh, he admitted that he was on speedballs. He was taking cocaine and heroin at the time of this awful, awful accident where these motorcyclists were killed. A horrible scene out there. So love to see some justice come into place here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, should we talk to our first guest? I think we should. Absolutely. Let's bring on Lauren Began. She's from Roger Williams University School of Law, talking about New England right there. That's up in the Rhode Island area. I believe it's in uh, Berlin, Rhode Island, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, uh, Lauren, thank you for joining us on the air today. Sure. Happy to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, we're very happy to have you. You're a maritime industry expert and adjunct professor over at that very university we mentioned. And I was looking at your LinkedIn, and I noticed that you focus on uh, my hometown, a little bit the Boston area. So how is business over at Conley right now? How are things going over at that terminal? Sure, sure. So I, I, I don't currently work there but um, previously, but, you know, it's, it's a nice terminal because it doesn't have a lot of congestion. So we keep hearing in the news um, that some of these large, large terminals are having congestion. Um, that's one of the benefits of Conley. Mm. Yeah, I was reading one of your uh, LinkedIn posts with the uh, wicked fast service of 29-minute uh, returns or uh, turn times. They kill for that in L.A. right now. Yeah, It really yeah. is wicked fast. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about the Maritime Transportation System Emergency Relief. Let's dig into that uh, a little bit. Uh, is this a new program? Can you talk about this? Has it been funded? I believe it came in under the National Defense Authorization Act. Sure. So it is a new program. So it's unique in that, um, you know, it's a little bit like, why wasn't this ever there before? Um, so when things go wrong, when there's an emergency declared, um, this is a new program that will provide exactly what the title says, emergency relief um, to the maritime transportation system. So it's being called kind of two different things, MITSERA, MITSERP, um, whether it's act or program, but MITSERA is generally what it's referred to. So Maritime Transportation System Emergency Relief Act. Um, and really it was it's created out of necessity. And, and like I said, I'm surprised it was never there before. It, it provides some necessary funding to the industry when emergencies happen. Um, you know, sometimes the emergency might be a pandemic. I, I think this is going to be maybe a little less, sometimes less frequent than um, any of us would have thought. But that, that could also include hurricanes, floods, um, you know, any sort of natural disaster. So it's, it's great to have the program in place. Now, this is a program, though, not a funding source. So what's the distinction there? And what does this mean? How do people get enrolled in this uh, since it's a program? How would they get enrolled in the program? Sure, that's right. So it's a program that Congress created. Um, like you said, it was under the National Defense Authorization Act, so NDAA. We heard a lot about that. It was passed at the end of December. Um, you know, this was part of the veto, non-veto. Um, it ended up getting passed. And um, so Congress creates it first. And then they've delegated that to the Maritime Administration, which is part of the United States Department of Transportation, so D.C. federal agencies. MARED now um, will turn that into a program. So um, the, the law has been created, and then now Marad will turn that into regulations. They'll interpret what the law says, essentially, and create a mechanism for eligible entities to try to get some of that funding. So you're right. It isn't funded yet. It's just the program. But you can't have money coming in if you don't have a bank account. So we've kind of created the bank account. Um, and then the next step, the very, very important step, will be funding this bank account, this program. Yeah. So how do we get how do we make that happen? Does it need to be funded if you uh, before you go out and create the uh, bylaws or whatever for the people to to utilize this funding? Sure. So, yeah, certainly for, for anybody to use it, there has to be money there. Um, but like I said, the program being there, the, the like I said, bank account essentially being created is going to be so important because now there's actually an account number we can send the funding to. So Congress has tried to find funding a few different ways. Um, it's almost come through a few of the COVID bills. Um, ultimately, it hasn't found its way into the end result, but AAPA continues to the American Association of Port Authorities, the Trade Association for the, for the port side of things, um, has been working with Congress trying to find ways of creating funding for this program. Um, you know, ports could use relief in the, at the beginning of this pandemic, it was in the couple of billions. You know, it's, it's, we've seen a bounce back on the cargo side, but remember, ports are more than just cargo. Ports are also crews. And mm. while the cruise ships themselves might be foreign, the ports themselves are domestic. And the Federal Maritime Commission actually did a report 
um, saying that even a gas station up to 150 miles away from that port is seeing a downturn because of the lack of cruising. Wow. Uh, this doesn't yeah. really roll off the tongue, right? It's Maritime Transportation System Emergency Relief Act, MTSERA. Is, there, is that is like Mount Sarah? Are you guys calling it anything? <laughs> How are we shortening this? <laughs> Mitsera. Mitsera is, like I said, sometimes it's even called program. So it's Mitserp. I would say in general, people are calling it Mitsera. Okay, great. Okay, great. So why so, else is it important, though? You just that kind of touched on that. You mentioned that ports do a lot more than just bring in foreign cargo and send cargo back overseas. They support a number of other industries. So what's, what's important about this bill, especially for people who are just hearing about this for the first time? Sure. So some of the major benefits of this bill that really created that I'm so surprised this wasn't there before is at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was kind of all in disarray, Nobody really knew if cargo was going to bounce back. You know, we weren't sure what was really happening. Um, but in the meantime, this is a this is an essential business. These ports have to stay open. As we've heard a million times, and we'll probably hear over the next three days as part of your conference, 90% of everything goes by ocean shipping. So this would include, Mitsera includes PPE procurement, which was so crucial at those first few months, um, workforce retention infrastructure repair. So now we're starting to talk about if it's flooding or if it's an earthquake, you know, maybe some of the infrastructure goes down, but you have to keep these ports open. And so this program creates a funding source that works with FEMA and other federal funding sources, but that is just so specific to ports. Um, We didn't have a program previous to this that was just specific to ports. And now we do. Yeah, so this Mitsera, it could be argued that that really, if this had been funded and we had this in place, uh, this could be used to improve and 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 at least sustain some level of of, I guess, better efficiency and throughput through the ports than we're seeing right now. Correct? I mean, it's not just to keep them open while you know things have dropped off initially, but now that things are out of control and we can't get stuff through the port, right? You could be utilizing this to improve the efficiencies. Potentially. I mean, you know, the, the infrastructure is only capable of what's, what it's capable of. Yeah. Um, but as things go down, this certainly could have helped that. Um, you know, there might have been some delays that were caused by workforce related type things. PPE procurement was certainly one of them. Platooning was happening so that people weren't at the same place at the same time because there just weren't masks available, you know, at the beginning of all of this. So that certainly would have staved off some of those troubles. Um, you know, getting into the detention and demerge thing, that's going to be a separate thing. That's that's kind of the product of just a lot of cargo moving. Um, and, and the Federal Maritime Commission is actually looking into that as well. So will this open the door to make it easier to declare emergencies at ports and, and open up to to this source of funding and, and open, like, for example, what's happening in Los Angeles, let's say that were to occur in be due to a longshoreman strike or an earthquake yeah. or something other than this, would that be, uh, or even now within the pandemic, something we could declare on Port of Los Angeles to get some help over there? Well, it does have to be declared emergency. Um, that can be done by the governor working with the maritime administrator, the, the U.S. Um, maritime administration, maritime administrator. Um, that could be declared by the president, as was done here. Um, you know, so it does have to be kind of a natural disaster or public health um, emergency type emergency declaration. So um, it, it could certainly help. Like I said, this is all part of the, the this was predicated because of the pandemic. Um, but this we've seen it a million times in different ports where something happens, hurricanes certainly on the Gulf or, um, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. This was just so, so great that we have this funding sitting there and available or or will, you know, once we get that funding in there. Wow. 
Yeah, it sounds good. I, I, we need to get that funding inside there. Would this be something that might be able to offset some of those extra costs that shippers are, are and, and consignees, the BOCs, are seeing right now as far as the demerge and that type of thing? Yeah, you know, potentially. So, like I said, demerge is kind of a different thing. Um, demerge is, is potentially a result. A detention demerge is probably a result of the the pandemic, but it really is the cargo congestion, the cargo, you know, mm. just influx. So um, having all those boxes coming through all at the same time, which, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, we saw a downturn. We weren't sure if, if that was going to go back up. So now you come this fall, the ports are seeing some of the best numbers that they've seen. So with that comes some bottlenecking, you know, and so that's that's part of the detention and demerge. The whole point of detention and demerge is to truly, I mean, the, the, this is what the FMC says, is really to spur and catalyze or, or be a catalyst for the movement of those goods. So, wow. um, you know, so, so the pandemic has certainly complicated things. This yeah. has been a roller coaster for the cargo movement of, of whether it's coming in um, or whether it's not. And then all of a sudden it just kind of the floodgates burst and here comes all the cargo. So that's really where that detention and demurrage started to become a problem. And so trying to make sure that it's being applied reasonably, you know, rationally, fair trade, free movement of goods. That's all the stuff that the Federal Maritime Commission is actually in charge of looking at. Well, thank you for giving us uh, all this insight on, on Mount Sarah, MT Sarah, Mid Sarah. <laughs> uh, how do people it. reach out and learn more if they want to continue having a discussion with you on this topic? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to find me there. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Um, so I've been interacting with you guys a little bit recently, too. <laughs> so feel free to reach out, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody about these topics. Thank you so Excellent. much. Thanks, Thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Hey, let's talk to someone familiar now. We know uh, Trey Griggs. He's a VP of Lean Sales over at Lean Solutions. He's he joining us today. You know, we talked about school a little bit too, right? He went to William Jewell College, and I don't know if you knew this, but Brian Knight, Major League umpire, went there. Got me curious too. Is that right? Yeah. Trey, if you were going to call oh, an out, you were an umpire in the Major League, give us your best out call. Uh, out. I like it. Just a, just a quick punch, right? Punch. And if I was calling third strike, it's one of these and then right there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With yeah. A, high, yeah, yeah. a high pull. Yeah, yeah. you got to have high a high. and boom. That's, that's right. Nice. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, Beautiful. you are the Enrico Palazzo of, of freight <laughs> and of, uh, of uh, near shore staffing. So it's great to have you here, Trey. Uh, introduce yourself a little bit Thanks, to this guys. new maritime audience that um, we may not often have as many maritime people joining us on What the Truck. So we're happy to have them here. And Trey, introduce yourself to them. Yeah, that's true. This is actually a division that kind of goes, uh, you know, unspoken a little bit over at Lean. But we work with almost 50 companies in the dredge and freight forwarding space, particularly in the maritime industry, you know, just helping with those back office functions, just like we do with a lot of our our customers in the States on, on the brokerage side as well. So we're very familiar with that, very comfortable with that. been doing that for a long time. And so excited to be here today to talk to a, a little bit of a new audience and, of course, be back with you guys. By the way, I have to say the set looks great. I love those mugs as well. Where am I going to get a redwood mug? Those are those are legit. Look at those things. <laughs> they are legit, my friend. They're beautiful. Anodized, uh, as, as Michael uh, Vincent keeps they, telling me. Yeah, Holds a nice 18 are. ounces in this I've thing. I've been waiting for somebody <laughs> to figure out that I'm, that I'm wrong. I, I don't know that I'm wrong, though. I, I might be right. No, keep they, a pint. They are excellent. Keep cold too. I, have, uh, I have tested I have, mine personally, and I will tell you that it is excellent. Yeah. I have great respect for companies that have good mugs. That to me, that's you know, that's, that's a sign of a quality company right there. Well, hey, <laughs> we were just talking to Lauren about the congestion at Port of LA. Obviously, a huge theme today. Everyone's dealing with it. Big pain in the butt. What do you think of con container get in right now? And from a lean uh, solutions perspective, what are the solutions? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We actually call it 
a container gate. Um, you know, I've got my, my Friday podcast, Word on the Street. We did a, uh, a lot of talk about that last week in regards. But it's crazy because, you know, it, in, in a time like this where it really is a, a, a traumatic experience for the entire world, not just for our country, you know, the global pandemic, you see a lot of these situations that are just not normal. And yet you still have companies that are taking advantage and making a lot of money. We actually talked about that. Should there be restrictions on how much you can increase prices during a global pandemic or during a, a natural disaster when a lot of companies try to make hay? Um, you know, we, we, had, we had some good conversation about that. But I don't know that I'm smart enough to know the answer. I think Laura is much smarter than I. It's always uh, always hard, tough to follow somebody like her. But uh, from, from the perspective of what we offer, we're helping companies, you know, with those, again, those back office positions to get things through. So that's that's where we come into play. But as far as the whole problem and what, what the solution is, I'm not sure that I have the answer for that. <laughs> well, some would argue that the you know carriers need to start taking our exports a little bit better, and then the other side says no, they already are. So I mean, it's a he said she said type of thing going on there. But let's talk about that a little bit more, though. How does how does lean impact the freight forwarders and the, and the cargo companies? How can you help them through these trying times right now? Yeah, I mean, we're, it's really easy to you know to to build up a satellite office in Colombia with us very quickly. That's our expertise. So you know, you're needing additional staff. I mean, as the volumes continue to rise and the and the uh, you know the loads that are and the containers that are going through continue to rise in those volumes, you might need some more help. Uh, in terms of those uh, just processing paperwork and things like that. A couple of positions that we help with on, like on the drage side is with, you know, the track and trace of ocean containers and POD retrievals and, you know, data entry on imports and exports. You know, with freight forwarders, we're helping with a lot of the international pricing of the ocean containers and uh, the bookings requests and cargo inspections. And we're also helping in customs and clearance. So there's several different ways in which we can be of benefit, especially during these times where, again, the volumes come up, the workload comes up, um, and we do a really uh, great job of setting up a satellite office very quickly down in one of our five beautiful cities in Colombia to help with those specific tasks. Yeah, I mean, COVID has vastly impa- impacted the cost of shipping, mm. not just not just that $5,000, right, that we're talking about in contract rates. And you're talking about demerge, which we've talked about substantially, still not a great answer to that. Talking about those lost relationships, canceled sales, all of those mm-hmm. kind of things. So it's more important now than ever for shippers and, uh, you know, and carriers as well and inland carriers here to, yeah. to, to save a buck and be prepared for these type of situations. Um, talk a little bit about that cost of shipping and how could lean potentially help someone mitigate that? Well, certainly from a cost standpoint, that's where the value prop for us comes into play because you get high quality teams, high quality employees down in Colombia for a fraction of the cost. And so it, it just helps out over, I mean, a dollar's a dollar and it all adds up. And so we're able to help on two fronts in the, in the sense that you're able to lower your overhead cost, but you're also able to have the high quality performance. For a lot of our companies, they're able to get, you know, two really good employees, sometimes for the price of one here in the States, which can do, you know, twice as much work. So that's all a part of going into the process. It's a small answer to the the overall problem. Uh, but that's certainly a way to do that. Our expertise in transportation, logistics, and freight forwarding uh, helps out with that as well. We just started a new division, Carrier Sales, which is helping with you know negotiating rates for containers and for uh, for trucks and, and and that area. So there's a lot of ways that not only from the cost of our services, but also from our expertise to be able to help out in that that area. That's a good point. Talking about the expertise that you guys have in in the specific uh, verticals of transportation and logistics, because make me feel comfortable that that my customer relations that I de- I, I, I depend on so much for my business during these trying times, right? I got to take care of them. How are you going to make those? How, do, how does lean staffing ensure that, that those relationships stay there at the top of the forefront? 
Yeah, well, first it starts with great training, and we have best practices in place from working with over 150 companies in logistics over the past eight years. And so we start with taking care of uh, the, the assigned service providers, making sure that um, you know they understand the roles, they understand exactly what they're going into. And then from that point on, we do a great job with our clients in terms of building relationships from the Colombian team to their U.S.-based team. We actually use the same software that uh, you guys often use during the icebreakers, uh, the, the happy hours, because it has the opportunity to you know go one-on-one one with somebody from a different area and get to know them and build relationships. And so we do a great job of uh, fully integrating those employees into the U.S. companies. And again, that, that goes a long ways uh, in terms of you know longevity and retention. Our retention rate across our 2,200 employees over the past several years has been over 97%, which has been tremendous. So uh, we put a lot of emphasis on that and make sure that they're trained well, that they're integrated in the companies fully. Um, and that's been a huge, uh, uh, huge part of our success in the last eight years. Trey, I, I think it might be Uh-oh. time to spin Uh-oh. the wheel. Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got for him. Oh, for two on this round game. I've never done well on this. All no, right. I, think, I, think last you, I think you'll do well on this one. I have a hunch that you will. Oh, yeah. See, the perfect, right, we'll see. this is the perfect question for you. You're now an air freshener sold at truck stops. What scent are you, Trey? <laughs> Lavender. Lav- Ooh, lavender. Interesting. Now, why wow. would you pick lavender? This this will give us some de- – this is like a row shark test. So why would you pick <laughs> lavender, Trey? You know, the only reason I chose lavender is because I think there was a skit one time where Will Ferrell uh, talked about lavender as well, and that just always set in my mind. So when that question popped up, I, I went right to Will Ferrell and went with lavender as a go-to. All That's right. really bad. I don't even know if I don't even I don't have a good sniffer. I don't even smell very well. So I'm not sure that lavender is that great. But the word sounds great, and Will Ferrell said it, so I went with that. I like, it's sensitive too, right? It's it's more of a sensitive. It is sensitive. I, I figured Trey, you'd go with pine tree. <laughs> yeah, or like or like used uh, Bowie knife or something. <laughs> yeah, like hunting season Ocean Bowie spray. knife. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I think I'd, I'd like pot roast. Rat something. lost in HVAC, like your uh, pot roast or well, tacos or something. What about the guy who stole know. the money? There was a guy. We covered a story about a guy who's stealing. PPP money to start yeah. a, a man candle company. It was like Joe's man candles or something. <laughs> Joe's man candles. Yes. Hey, hey uh, Trey, how do people reach out and learn more and connect with you and get more information about how they can enhance their, uh, their especially their customer service in times like these? I'm sure they're getting a lot of angry phone calls about where my freight is. Yeah, certainly. So first of all, look us, look us up on the web at leangroup.com. That's L-E-A-N group.com. You can reach out to me or any of our representatives on LinkedIn as well. So you can find us there and we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well. So um, you can find us pretty easily. Check out our website. We have a new website with lots of great information and ready to help uh, customers, especially those in the moments like today that really need help. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. Good to talk to you guys. Take it easy, Trey. Thanks, Trey. Our next guest, he smells like money with a little hint of barbecue sauce. It is Mr. <laughs> Supply Chain, Daniel Stanton out of the wonderful state of North Carolina. Hey, Mr. Stanton, how are you doing today? I, you know, I'm just thinking at least it's not lavender, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, like lavender and barbecue You're sauce? you going to be able to look at Trey the same. <laughs> well, what would you smell like? Yeah, I, I think you got it. I'll, I'll, I'll go with money and barbecue sauce. That's, That's fine. That's a good one. And, and maybe yeah, a little exactly. coleslaw. Oh. Holes yeah. on the side. Yeah, like you just <laughs> so. did a big deal. You open the briefcase full of money. You stop by McDonald's. You got some chicken nuggets. You know, you open the barbecue sauce. A little droplet fell on, and that's the scent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it needs to be heat sensitive, though. As you like, turn on your air conditioning in your car, or the heat it changes yeah. to barbecue from 
cold hard cash. Well, you know, this has been a show, you know, we, we kicked it off talking to an educator and Mr. Supply Chain is big into education through his Supply Chain for Dummies series, through LinkedIn Learning, through all of those kind of things. I know in light of the topics that are going on Ocean, one of the big things you want to talk about was Rick's management versus trust. What does that mean to you in this context right now? Yeah, so... This is, um, you know, for for the past several years, we've been talking a lot about risk management, and then it it sort of evolved into a conversation about resilience, right? Because risk management, if you think about it, is is the the things outside of your supply chain, and resilience is really about you and your firm and your supply chain, and how do you respond to those risks? Um, but but it turns out, you know, at the same time that we're having this conversation about risk and resilience, we're also having a lot of conversations about trust and collaboration. And and when you think about it, in many cases, you have to make a choice, right? If, if you recognize that there's a risk out there, you have to decide, am I going to do something to manage and control and mitigate that risk? Or am I going to accept that risk, understand that I'm vulnerable, which means I'm usually going to be trusting a supplier or some combination of suppliers. And 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 the, I don't I don't have a, a great answer to that except I I think it helps to understand that that's the decision that we're making is you know it, is this a risk that I I need to manage in order to be resilient or is this a risk where I I can live with it but I need to be trusting my suppliers, and that means I need to collaborate with them so that we can manage through these issues if they emerge. Man, that happened at a retail level. We were talking to Colin from Digital Wildcatters, right, Michael Vincent, about the energy grid out there. And he mm. has this company, Gritty, where it's deregulated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk about suppliers. You, you think your suppliers are going to protect you. There's some cap, but there was no regulation and nobody was protected. And those $200 heating bills went up to like $9,000. That's got to hurt a lot of trust. Yeah, it is. And I was, that's what I was going to bring up when you talk about the, these two different issues, mitigating that risk and, and, and trusting your vendors that are there. How do you decide who, who, who you can trust? Are they the ones that, that failed during this pandemic moving, moving forward, but were honest about it, or those that failed and weren't so honest about it, or maybe took advantage of some demerged charges or something, right? I mean, how, how, how do you, because that you, you're begging the question of, can I trust these people with this particular thing that I need to trust them with? Right? Does that make it, sense, Daniel? It, it, absolutely, dude. I mean, you, you, you nailed it. And, and the truth is, you know, trust generally isn't sort of a binary. You have it or you don't have it. It's something that that's built over time, right? There's kind of a feedback loop. So you build a relationship with with a vendor or a supplier. You go through some sort of a risky situation. They handle it well. They're transparent. They're honest. Now you trust them more. Right. Um, and, and that works and it works and it works until there's a violation of that trust. Right. Until it's taken advantage of. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that I'm kind of um, concerned about as a researcher is, do we do a good job as managers of, of um, deciding who we should trust versus when there's a risk that we should manage? Are we getting fooled into trusting suppliers when we really ought to be managing those risks? Or are we actually being kind of paranoid and spending money and spending time managing risks when we'd be better off just trusting our suppliers that they're going to protect us and take care of us and work with us if something happens? 
What do you think about this argument that is percolating between P Team Peter Friedman and Team Hatbag Lloyd, where uh, Hatbag Lloyd is saying, hey, you know, in the past 10 years, there's been times where we didn't get paid as much money. So, yeah, the getting's good right now was kind of the crux yeah. of, of what that guy was saying. And Peter Friedman's like, no, no, no. Right now, there are major service failures. You're not living up to your schedule agreement. But then there's also the reality of the port that there is all of this congestion. How do we unwind it all? How do you, how do you, how do you, get, a, how do you get your head above all of this stuff, Daniel? Right. And, and and who do you actually hold accountable and blame and, and all of that? You know, certainly, um, you know, nobody wants to be a victim of or accused of price gouging. Right. Taking advantage of having, you know, power or, or access to uh, a constrained resource in a time of really high demand. But but we're business. Pete and and we realize, hey, you know, our we're we're trying to make money, and you're trying to push up prices and grow profits when you can, um, and so there there has to be some kind of balance there, and you, you know, there I I don't know if there's a, a clean black and white answer, except that you know it when um, you know there are examples like what you talked about with the Texas utility stuff. Where all of a sudden, you know, the price goes from 100 to 1,000 overnight. Everybody looks at that and says, no, that's excessive, right? We can understand, you know, maybe your costs go up, or, but, but there has to be a way to justify the, the increase in prices. I, I think, you know, in the examples that you're talking about at the port, I mean, if it's, if it's truly a matter of the costs of providing the service have gone up, then the service providers just need to be transparent about it. But but if it's simply taking advantage of the opportunity to blow their margins out, um, then you've undermined the trust, right? And the response of your customers is going to be, well, how do we manage that risk in the future? And the way we manage the risk is by having other suppliers and, and some competition in the marketplace so that we're less vulnerable. Yeah, you know, Daniel, you brought up that the you can justify there has to be some justification in the in the uh rise in the cost of your cost to provide that service, right? And I think that there was certainly some of that in the beginning. We had some blank sailings in, in order to mitigate some of the, the losses that the carriers were looking that they were going to hit that were going to basically devastate the industry. That turned very quickly to bringing all those those sailings back on. And then at one point I think it was less than one percent idle uh capacity around the world, which is like insanely low. It was somewhere in the single digits anyways, uh, which is insanely low. But now, like you said, it's more uh, the cost is lost opportunity, right? Somebody else will pay me seven grand for that 40 instead of, instead of the five. But how do they justify those demurrage costs and so on that really that it's not a failure of the importer, the BOC to pick up that container, they can't go get it because it's sitting on a ship. How do they justify those type of things? And I think that's where Friedman's really got the got the you know the uh, the issue. That's right. You know, this is the problem of you know dealing with supply chains. Is you know, it's not a firm. It it is a it, it's a complex system, right? It's a, a bunch of firms that are all working together. And and um, you know the successes or failures or or the challenges that one of them face impact all of them. Um, one one of my uh, colleagues and and professors over at uh, Cranfield University, Martin Christopher, uh, is, is credited with saying you know competition these days isn't between firms; 
it's between supply chains, right? And and this is a, a great example where you say, okay, you know, some of the players are doing just fine, but if you've got a capacity crunch at one point in the supply chain, it affects everybody upstream and downstream, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's never more obvious than in the supply chain and never more obvious to retail consumers than just about a year ago, right? In about two weeks, about a year ago, when the, the great reckoning, when everyone was sent yeah. home to the world's longest work from home experiment and everyone bought uh, half the things in the group. We talked a ton about the bullwhip. We were wearing cowboy hats when we did it. Where's your cowboy hat today? Where's my cowboy I, hat? I was this close. I was this close. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, That's we're going right. to spin the wheel. You're going to promote uh, LinkedIn Learning and your books for us. Let's spin the wheel Ooh. first here. Let's see, what, let's see what you come up with. I hope it's a good one for you because we already got the air freshener in there, right? So round and round the wheel of stupid questions goes where it lands. No one knows. Okay. Okay, what historical event, what historical event, any historical event that's ever happened, would you like to see in person? Wow. Um, the uh, detonation of the atomic bomb out in White Sands or wherever that was. Oh, you would oh, want to be there for, a, you are a brave man. Like You'd want to be there for a nuclear bomb exploding. Was it Bikini well, Atoll on that one? The ocean no, one? No, not, that the, was cool not the Bikini Atoll one. The one that that was out in the western U.S. Yeah. Be, because, um, I mean, I, honestly, I, I think such a pivotal moment for um, science, for the human race. And, and one of the things that um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know, but the, the physicists that were involved in running the tests, you know, the whole thing with a, a, a fission reaction like that is you start splitting apart atoms and it creates a chain reaction, right? It goes critical. And they weren't sure if it would stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's wow. a problem. So you wanted to be right at ground zero for that one. I, that's that's admirable. If people want to be gra at ground zero for your learning uh, on LinkedIn and with supply chain for dummies, where do they go? Sure. So one of the things I, I've done in the last couple of weeks to make it easy for people to find the supply chain courses on LinkedIn Learning and elsewhere, we created a new website, supplychainvideos.com. Also have links to podcasts, including Freightways TV. You guys both get a shout out on the site. All right. um, and then the, the new edition of Supply Chain Management for Dummies came out in uh, December. You guys also get a little bit of a plug talking about freight futures and talking about uh, Freightways podcasts available on Amazon and now available as an audiobook. So you can even get it on Audible or Google Books or wherever. Wow, beautiful. Hey, Daniel Stanton, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Gents, thank you. Be well. Thanks, Dan. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting that answer about being at the the testing of the first uh, atomic bomb blown up in American soil, and it was interesting his rationale because, like, he's like, well, the whole world could have been destroyed during that event if the yeah. I don't think many people. I didn't realize that they weren't sure it was going to stop. I oh, thought yeah. they had a fairly good handle on it before they blew it off. They're like, <laughs> but, oh, you know, we just go for it. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to bring this home on Monday's the segment called "Big Deal, Little All Deal." Right. First one, let's find out from you. So we get to debate a little bit. Okay. Ooh, Frozen water bottles were being used to break windshields on a Missouri highway. Is this a big deal or a little deal? Okay, hold on a second. I got to stretch here since we're going to debate these. <laughs> this is a big deal, dude. Yeah. This, uh, this, so one of these water bottles, somebody's throwing water bottles at vehicles as they're driving down this interstate. And I forget the stretch of interstate. I was going to memorize it so I could give out a public warning of where it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's not funny, man. I mean, you're throwing bricks of ice and one of them hit the windshield of a bus. 
Yeah. That was uh, apparently it, it saw it didn't say whether there were kids on it, but it was driving at a time like eight fifteen in the morning when you would suspect it's probably got children on it. The authorities said that they assumed that this might be a TikTok or a viral trend as well, right? I, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, they did say that, but I, they didn't give any suggestion that there were videos out on TikTok of it. No, they didn't. They, they're like, oh, we so, just think it is. We're, we're not really sure. But yeah, this I mean, is one of those stupid things that could go out there and then uh, have copycats. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not cool. Uh, you know, anecdotally, everyone knew, like, there, there was always, like, the bad kid teenager in class who would throw yeah. things off, like, a, a bridge, water balloons or whatever it may be. But this is, this is much more dangerous because they're throwing ice missiles at, at yeah. vehicles. I mean, yeah. any, throwing anything off an overpass is, is a terrible, awful, bad idea. Well, I mean, but. it's not like you're just throwing it. The car is also moving at 55, 60 miles an hour well, as yeah. well. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're throwing it at, like, 65 miles an hour. Legit could kill someone. Yeah, legit, not cool. Big deal. Yeah. Big deal. So I've got one for you, all right? All right. Uh, and this is a good one for you. So McDonald's picks Beyond, you know, Beyond Meat. Yeah, yeah sure. They pick uh, Beyond Meat as the preferred supplier for uh, the ingredients for McPlant. Are you ready for the McPlant? <laughs> you know, it is. It's so it's a pretty big deal. Us, us vegetarians <laughs> have been have been waiting our lives to uh, eat less healthy at fast food restaurants and, and yeah. have our needs catered to. But, you know, what, a lot of times, just like truck drivers, you find yourself out in a situation where you can't get a meat alternative or it's something that uh, has no protein or very little protein, which is just like one of their salads or yeah. which aren't always that great, right? I mean, yeah. Nobody really goes to McDonald's for a salad or no. you could get like a Big Mac with no meat on it, but that's not really exciting. <laughs> hold, you pay hold the same the meat. <laughs> that, that, that happens. I mean, you've had an order before. If you're a vegetarian, you don't eat meat. Nice yeah, I, well, I guess. Yeah, I've never been in that situation. I don't eat a ton of fast food, so I was surprised to learn that, like, um, I know we talked to John Brewer from the yeah. Carl's Jr. Hardee's, and I know that they had brought in the Beyond Meats to there. They have the Beyond Meats. Uh, doesn't Burger King have one it's a great, well, they have, I, think? I think they have the Impossible Burger. The Impossible Burger, Burger. yes. Now, yes. KFC, they launched a pilot of it in Atlanta with, um, with really? the Beyond Chicken, and that, that outsold, and now that's available nationwide apparently i haven't been to a kfc in forever but even pizza hut has it as well but this all makes sense because all of these are yum brands and yum brands is one of the largest restaurant okay sellers in the united states so one thing that was interesting though in the article i was reading was um brian friedrich he was from the executive director of the good food institute he's talking about how this mcdonald's thing is bigger than just mcdonald's Mm -hmm. as it they set the bar so now that mcdonald's has it everybody has to have it so this is going to be huge for that industry and for meat alternatives yeah, that, I just, that, I just that makes started. perfect sense. I didn't even yeah. think of that because you're absolutely right. Everybody's chasing that McDonald's bar for quality and innovation as, as well. But this is, you said no no protein. This is a thing to get so protein that now. protein yeah. for, for the vegan and vegetarian. Yeah, even Dunkin' Donuts is yeah. doing it now too. So yeah. I think it, maybe even Arby's has it. You're seeing it just about everywhere. Makes sense. Um, so yeah, big deal, big deal to me, but also a big deal for that industry. Uh, not financial yeah. advice, but maybe a good idea to start looking at some stocks that are well positioned within that place. Too. <laughs> He's I mean, not a I financial advisor, <laughs> right? Yeah, trade in your drone. My douche coin. Yeah, douche coin. Douche coin. Douche coin. Douche nothing's doing that well right yeah. now, or at least last week. <laughs> uh, there's a bill in the House. Here's a big deal. Little okay. There's a bill in the House and Senate that seeks to support the women in trucking industry. Is a big deal. A little deal. You know, I, I think it's a big deal from the perspective of that it's not been done already. Yeah. Uh, that that shocked me like that act that Mount Sarah act we were talking about earlier. Yeah, 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 exa- exactly. I mean, I mean, if, if this was first being brought up, I would think it's a big deal as well. That's not what I'm trying to say is that it's a small deal. I just think it, the bigger deal is that it's not been thought of. It's kind of like, duh, we yeah. need to do this. Right. We need drivers. Right. And, and uh, in a in a business that has that needs the the publicity and has gotten some very strong publicity. It shocks me that this lobby hasn't hasn't had this happen before. 
Uh, but I, I think it's a big deal. I think it's important. I think that uh, women need to know that uh, this is a great industry to be in to be and to be truckers. And they need that support to be out there. And I think uh, you would agree, certainly, that uh, it needs to be done. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a big deal. Well, 47 percent of the United States workforce is female, right? right. Only 24 percent of America's trucking workforce is female. Only 7 percent are drivers. Yep. And that's gone between 7 and, and 5%. It has not increased above that 7% uh, ceiling in years, in years. So I can see, I can see why this, uh, this is a great idea. It's one of the reasons when we have female guests on here, we usually ask them, too, about what their advice is to women who come in this industry. Because we're well aware, too, it's very male-dominated here. This would be a good question to have on um, some of those that we have in here and, and talk to them to see. Is it, is it, the, is it the infrastructure of the, of the business that it is? Is it the promotion of it? Is it the attraction? What is keeping the attraction away? Is it because of the support or is it because of the difficulties of that life? What, what, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors. I mean, yeah. if we're being honest, if you look at the recruiting and even the marketing of the profession, it does not do a great job of signaling to women that this is a field for them. It, yeah. it still is not in, in that phase. So I, I've got one for you. Uh, big deal, little deal, my yeah. friend. Nutritionists say, and I've kind of suspected this, actually. Yeah. I think this is more confirmation that, that, that pizza is better for breakfast than most cereals. That's Do you a, think this is a big deal or a little deal? I mean, this has been – I've had this argument for a long time because you can just look at the nutrition label of, like, <laughs> yeah. your Frosted Flakes, and it's, like, 120 calories. And if you measure it, you don't get that much cereal. No, you like, get, like, three flakes. <laughs> most people are pouring, like, double that size oh, yeah, into yeah, yeah. a bowl, and then you're pouring double the amount of milk. So you're talking, like, a 500, 600-calorie bowl of cereal? Yeah. You could eat, like, half a small pizza. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A couple and, large slices you didn't eat the night before. And, and, it's the, and it's the type of nutrition that's in it or yeah. the type of fat that's in it, right? I, people are making fun of the school systems where they said it's a vegetable, but it's like, hey, you know, it's uh, better than some of these things that have been just marketed better, <laughs> cereal. I mean, it's still junk food. Let's, like, like, let's be honest. You sound like Bill food. Cosby trying to justify giving his kids chocolate cake for I'm breakfast. I'm just saying, you know, you can have more sugar in other ways. I, I don't know if it's a bit. I mean, it's I'm not shocked deal. that a piece of pizza is better nutrition than a bowl of Captain Crunch. You know what the worst thing is that we give kids all the time is like apple juice and stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's awful. Yeah. It's absolutely bad. Yeah. yeah just straight is. apple juice all the time. It's terrible. Yeah, no. It's like it's just sugar after sugar. It's it like is. tablespoon after tablespoon. It you is. know, we got a it ton is. more event coming from you. We got some of the answers today. We didn't get all of them, but it's a good thing we still have two and a half more days to go. We yeah. still have another what the truck will be doing from this on Wednesday. On Wednesday. We still have that Gary V session coming up. We still have more prizes to give away. Two more today. Uh, eight more in total. Go to live.freight waves.com to register if you like the show look us up in your favorite podcast player choice look up what the truck subscribe to it you'll get us every new episode follow me on twitter at timothy dooner follow him at vincent the dude what do you say peace and love everybody peace and love peace and love for all you hang out with us